Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. How you doing this morning? Summer's here. Man, school's over. Your kids were with you. If you, They never went left, we know, because of the pandemic, but still. But, man, how many guys are thankful it feels like Texas again and not like Seattle, at least for a little while, right? You know, grow, growing up as a kid, I used to love to sing songs. One of my favorite songs I used to sing, you guys might remember it. How many of you guys remember the song, This Little Light of Mine? Raise your hand and remember that song. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, if you, you know that song, we're going to do some of the motions with me as we sing it together, okay? You're going to sing this together. You, you, you remember last week, if you were in worship, uh, my voice, I, man, my microphone wasn't turned on. I kind of co-led with my daughter last week. That ain't going to happen again, but you're going to hear me kind of sing this song. Here we go. Man, this little light of mine, how's the song? I'm going to let it shine. Everybody, come on. Do the motions with me. I'm going to call you out if you're not. This, you can do that or this. Okay, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Man, hide it under a bushel? No, come on. We can need more motions. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I love this one. Don't let Satan blow it off. No, no, right. Don't let Satan blow it off. No. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine, and let it shine till Jesus comes. And we're going to be singing this all day, but you know, let's see you guys are dead. And, hey, well, anybody else want to help me out with doing the motions? Linda, you want to do that? Or no, 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 I will never call you out. She's like, no way, Pastor, I'm going to kill you after service. I would never do that. But you know, that song honestly brings back so many good memories for me as a kid, going to VBS, memorizing verses, getting uh, little toys at the, at the, these evangelists would come in and kind of teach us the Bible and Makes me think, I'm so thankful for our kids' workers who teach our kids every week. Man, our kids aren't just going back to babysitting back there, but they're allowing God's word and songs are taking root in their hearts. They're going to last forever. How many guys thankful for that? So look what we're going to do real quick. Let's reach our hands back there. And let's pray for those kids today. Let's pray for our kids' workers that they have songs that are going to, Lord, I thank you for our kids' workers. I thank you for Sonny and our team back there. And I pray that the word of God would begin to just go deep into their hearts with songs that they sing that they'll never forget when they become old people like us. Amen. Did you know that the words of that song came from the Sermon on the Mount? As we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount this summer, I want us to look at these words. In the Sermon on the Mount, like I said last week, Jesus gives us his kingdom manifesto. So this is what I want you to do as we begin the sermon this morning. I want you to imagine that you're one of the disciples, that you've been waiting your whole life for the Messiah, the King, and you finally found him. This is the man that Israel has been praying for, studying about, singing about for thousands of years. And he's here in your lifetime. Not only that, he's called you to be one of his disciples. And Jesus calls you up to the mountain. And he begins to tell you what life's going to look like when he becomes the king that you've been waiting for. You're thinking when he's in charge, he's going to bring the smack down on the Romans, that you'll be one of his top rulers. And if you remember last week, Jesus starts this sermon with the word, what? Blessed. Which means happy. 
And Jesus is saying the words come out, and the words bless come out. And you're like, yes, Jesus, I want to hear more. Tell me more. You're like, you're going to bless me. What's the next statement? They're waiting for the words, and all of a sudden, he reigns on their parade. He shocks them all. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty. Blessed are the peacemakers and the persecuted. And if you're one of the disciples, you're like, what? I thought we were talking about you establishing the kingdom, Jesus. This isn't what we signed up for. This isn't what we thought about. Jesus is shattering their vision of the kingdom, and he's giving them a much better picture of the kingdom. And as we studied last week, the Sermon on the Mount is not prescriptive, giving us things to do to be part of God's kingdom. It's descriptive. It's describing a life that is surrendered to Jesus. And the disciples had to be thinking as they're hearing this message, they're processing the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth. How are we going to change the world? Jesus, how are we going to establish this type of kingdom? And Jesus answers them in verses 13 through 16. Let's read it this morning. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall salt how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't tell them what to do. Jesus doesn't tell them how to change the world. What does Jesus do? He tells them who they are. Who are you? He says, you're salt and you're light in this earth. And here's the truth of Jesus that he's teaching. Christianity isn't about doing, it's about being. It's about being who God wants you to be. In this passage... Jesus gives us three new things the gospel produces in the life of believer when we become Christians that we have that change everything about us. Here's what there are three things, and it goes a new identity, a new motivation, and a new purpose. Let's unpack those one at a time this morning. First, he gives us a brand new identity. Look at verse 16 again. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your underline that, circle that, highlight, smiley face that to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus here is giving the Israelites a radical concept of who God is. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 14 times and never in a personal sense. And here Jesus is telling the disciples that God isn't some cosmic force out of the sky, that God is their Father. And they have a new identity as children of God. See, I, I grew up in a small town in uh, northern New Mexico. And how many of you guys grew up in a small town? When you grow up in a small town, everybody knows everybody. And I remember many times I'd walk into the store or I'd be at school and somebody would, somebody would tell me, are you the son of Benny Frescas? And I'd say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a junior. My name's Benito. Benito means little Ben because we looked alike. We had the same mannerisms because I resembled my father. See, the Greek word for light is the word phos. It's where we get the word photo, which is interesting here. How many, how many remember before selfies? How many of you guys take a whole bunch of selfies? Before selfies, there's this thing called a Polaroid camera. Remember a Polaroid camera? 
that was like cutting edge technology. You would take a picture and then it would go, it'd give you a little, and it would take this picture. And sometimes if you take the picture bad, it would be fuzzy sometimes, but you would try to get a reflection. How many of you guys took a lot of fuzzy pictures? My, I'm such a bad uh, picture taker. I take fuzzy selfies still because I'm so ADD in everything I do. I can't keep it still. But here's the question I want to ask you. I wonder if we're a fuzzy picture of who Jesus is or if we're a clear picture of who Jesus is. As Christians, we naturally resemble our Father. We love what He loves. We start to do what He does. This new identity gives us what? A brand new motivation. As God's children, we want to please our Father. We want everyone to know how amazing God is. This is the motivation of life that Jesus tells us. It's found in verse 16. People will see your good works and give you all kinds of props and tell you how awesome you are and say you're cool. No, it doesn't say that, right? It says, people will see your good works and they will give glory to your Father in heaven. This is what Christians do. If you're truly a Christian, they realize that their old motivation in life wasn't very big. It was all about me. It was about my career, my family, my comfort, my goals. But the new motivation for a Christian to live is for the glory of God and to do good works. The word good there means winsome. It means attractive. That the reason that we're here is to show the attention on Jesus and not ourselves. Are you motivated by Building your kingdom or God's kingdom. Jesus is telling us the motivation behind the happy life. How to be blessed. And it's the glory of God. John Piper says this, that when God is most glorified in me, I am most satisfied in him. See, the message of the gospel is that God gave up everything to save us, to share his kingdom with us. And when that reality becomes real to us, we give up everything we have to follow him and build his kingdom and not our own. One of the things that I love to do is I love to take people on mission trips around the world. And after every mission trip, every single time, the same thing happens every single time. People tell me after every trip, how many of you guys have ever been on a mission trip? Raise your hand if you've been on a mission trip. If not, man, next year we want to be back, God willing, on another mission trip. But if you've never been on a mission trip, this is what almost every single person tells me after they go on their first mission trip. Pastor B, I've never felt so alive. I've never felt so fulfilled. I've never felt so happy like I was on that trip. Why is that? Because for the first time in their life, they centered their entire life and every moment on the glory of God. You spent the week where every morning you woke up and you asked, God, how do you want me to bring you glory today? You went to breakfast. They said, Lord, how can I bring you glory? The entire day was focused on how you can use your life for the glory of the Father. They say, Pastor B, I've never felt so alive. Why? Because you are satisfying that God-given desire, that God-given motivation to bring glory to God. And that new motivation all of a sudden gives us a brand new purpose on this earth. And I'm not saying that we all should be missionaries. I'm not saying that we all should be pastors. But I am saying that the purpose of our life is not to make a lot of money. It's not to get promoted at our job. It's not to have a lot of friends. It's not even to be a great mom or dad. The purpose of our life, according to Jesus, is that wherever we go and whatever we do is to be salt and to be light on this earth, to be a city set on a hill. That's why sometimes we're not satisfied with our lives because we're not walking in everything that God has called us to be. We were called to make a difference. Here's the thing about salt and light. They bring change. They're metaphors that describe change. 
And I want to spend the rest of my message describing the functions of salt and light. Let me start with salt. Salt during Jesus' times was very valuable. Have you ever heard the saying, that man is not worth his salt? That comes from the fact that in the first century, Roman soldiers were paid in salt. The word salary comes from salt. Historians tell us that salt in the first century was sold per ounce, and it was as valuable as gold. Imagine just like been eating a bunch of flakes of gold. No, we would never do that, right? But that's how expensive salt was. Because Why? Because in those days, they didn't have refrigerators. Salt was used as a preservative. You would rub it on the meat, and it would keep the meat from rotting. And one of the purposes of salt is to preserve things from rotting. And as Christians, this is the implication. As Christians, we come to a world, we come to a place, and we preserve a decaying world. According to Jesus, the implications of this world are huge. That our culture, as we know it, is rotting and it's dark. And we are supposed to step into those areas and make a difference. Think about this. What people have enjoyed about America all these years is not an American culture. It's a Christian culture. French writer Alexis de Tocqueville, after visiting America in 1831, said this, quote, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her vast commerce, her public school systems, and her institutions of higher learning. It was not there. I looked for it in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness that I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. What he was doing, he was just quoting the proverb and Proverbs 14.34, where it says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin brings a reproach to any people. What has made America great is not a Republican platform, a Democratic platform, or a president or anything. What has made America great over these years has been the things of God that have been preserved in that culture that stop it from decaying. Our money says, in God we trust. Our Pledge of Allegiance says, we are one nation under God. For those of you that have traveled, if you've been a chance to travel the world and see missions, there have been places where there's been a Christian culture and it is gone. If you go to many places in Europe, in many places there are churches all over the place, but they're like museums and nobody goes to church anymore. And there's a godless feeling in those areas. And let me tell you, we are rapidly sliding into that type of culture here in the U.S. today. Unless we become salt and we preserve the culture that God has entrusted us, our nation is in trouble. You know where we're going? Just look at Amsterdam. That's probably the future of America right now. The red light district, child prostitution, legalized drugs, freedom and tolerance, gender confusion, anything goes, hardness of heart. All those things our culture seems to celebrate but doesn't fully understand. That's where we're headed. Look at Syria where people are losing their heads because they're Christian when all of a sudden all these things are going in place because when all of a sudden you don't value human life and you'll do those things, man, that's where you'll die because of your beliefs. That's probably the future of Amsterdam. And under our watch, our nation is becoming more and more corrupt. According to Pew Magazine, America in the last few years for the first time has become a non-Christian nation. 
with more people claiming no faith or other, other than the Christian faith for the first time in our history. And if these trends continue, and we've seen it, the world that your children and your grandchildren are raised on will be very different than the world that you're raised in. So what do we do, Benito? It's very easy. Jesus tells us it's our job to preserve the culture that God has placed us in. One of the reasons that media and social media and entertainment and politics have become so corrupt is because we have left those areas. And guess what happens when salt leaves those areas? Things begin to rot. But as Christians, we are called not to have a hurricane mentality, not to suck our thumbs, not to be afraid, but to confront the current of a culture that is contrary to the kingdom and stand there and say, we are the light, we are the salt, we are the voice of Jesus in our generation. See, salt is also, it's not only something that preserves, it's also a healing agent. When you go to the dentist, what do they tell you? They tell you to gargle in salt water. Salt can reduce a canker sore in less than 24 hours, according to studies. When Christians see something decaying, when something's falling apart, you know what Christians do? They go in and they bring healing. Christians go in and they make a difference. They move into needy neighborhoods. They move into needy schools. They're attracted to needy people because we are the salt of the earth. We don't have a hurricane mentality. We don't walk away. We don't say we shouldn't be there. We go into the very places that the enemy's trying to take and we stand there and we make a difference and we love people. And Jesus says, as you were the disciples, as he's getting ready to establish his kingdom, he says, you got a brand new identity. And let me tell you your identity. You are are salt and you are light in this world that's decaying that it's dark that's why freedom church exists we exist so that those who are far from god can become fully devoted followers of christ and we are committed to being salt in our city man i had a call a month ago from three strands ministry it's a ministry that we helped start uh last year right before the pandemic what this ministry does is it provides mentoring for parents who have been court-ordered and separated from their kids. They're facing challenges. And what it does, it provides Christian teaching and mentorship. And the goal of it is to reunify these families and bring these families back together. And they asked me, Pastor Benito, will you launch one of these ministries again? We need one in September. And I said, absolutely. Because when we see families falling apart, when we see the enemy coming in, we don't stand there. We don't judge them. We don't criticize. We come and we be Jesus and we stop the bleeding and we step in. And I want to challenge you. It's time for us to be the salt of the earth. It's time for us to be the light of the world. It's time for us not just to sing songs and hear sermons. It's time for us to bring change in this city. So we have a sign-up sheet. We need people to mentor. We need people to teach. We need people to bring food. Because I don't know about you. More than ever before, it's time to make a difference. I'm not going to sit back and watch decay in my city. Not in my place. I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to, oh, a hurricane's coming. Oh, have you seen how evil it is? Who cares how evil it is? God called us in this moment and in this day. It's not only that. But just this week, I got another call from an individual, and we were looking with agape and starting, and everybody has all these ideas of how do we make a difference. And, man, I know that there are all these challenges that are coming in our world and one of the big challenges that god is for let me tell you our god is pro-life our god loves people our god cares for people 
But I was reading a book. Jennifer was talking about a book that I was reading. We, and I realized that laws don't change a person's heart. The gospel does. And we, it should be our goal not to be abortion, make abortion illegal. It should be our goal to make abortion unthinkable. To show how amazing and incredible people are. We've got to care for people. So we're starting another ministry coming September called Embrace Grace. And Embrace Grace is a ministry where we will support mothers who instead of choosing to move forward with an abortion, they have chosen life. They're going to be scared. They're walking through difficulties, but we're going to create a safe place where you can come in in the church and not find judgment, but find love, and we will walk with them. We will journey with them. We'll buy them diapers. We'll care for them. We'll mentor them. And we're not just going to hold pickouts, picket signs, but we're going to walk them through the mentality and say, hey, this is who our God is. Our God loves you. Our God cares for you. And we want to have a bunch of women come together and not just come together for themselves, but come together for the glory of God. It's time that we be the church there's another registration out there to sign up for that just last week as I preached the message pretty much the first part of this message on the gospel and what it means there's a young man who hadn't been to church for a long time and he says Benito I was just weeping after everybody left he stopped me and I gave my heart to Jesus. I just need more. I need more than just one Sunday a week. I'm going through a whole lot. We need life group leaders to mentor and disciple people. We're also going to start a brand new class called Life's Healing Choices. We have these leaders that are coming together. And what they're going to do is they're going to walk people through addictive, challenging behaviors and turn that into a celebrate recovery. Man, hear what I'm telling you, Freedom Church. It's time that we stop playing games. And it's time that we be the church that God's called us to be. But I'm going to call you out. Because God doesn't call us just to be a cruise ship and sit down and hear sermons. He calls us to be a battleship that takes our places and works. How many of you guys say, yes, Lord? This is the type of faith that I want. That's why I told Joe years ago, if there's ever a need in our city, man, let us know. And that's why we're the first call that he makes. I thank you. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God's doing. I'm thankful that you've always responded to be the salt and the light. Here's what I know about salt. Salt changes the dynamic of what it comes in contact with. I want to be salty, not salty in the way the kids talk about it and mad. But I want to be a salty church. I want to be a salty Christian. Let me ask you this question this morning. How salty are you? When you're salty and your coworker starts telling that dirty joke and they're coming to the punchline and you walk in, they stop because you're there and you change everything. Somebody cusses around you and they say, sorry. They stop, not because you demand it, not because you're arrogant, not because you judge them, because there's something that is different about you. Another thing salt does is it stimulates thirst. It adds flavor. You know, there's certain Christians, when you're around them, it makes you just want to be more godly. There's something about them. I want to be more like that. I want to know God like that. I want to pray like that. The greatest compliment a non-believer can pay to a believer is this. I see the way you live. I see the way you work. I see the way you raise your kids. I see your marriage. I want what you have. Salt makes something taste good. Let me tell you, the job of salt is to not make you think how great the salt is, but to add flavor to the food. You never say, oh, this steak, the salt is so good on this steak. No, it's perfectly flavored to bring attention to that steak. And when you're salty, you know what your, your life does? It points to Jesus. But you cannot be salt and stop the corruption of sin in others if sin has corrupted you. You cannot stimulate a thirst for God in others if you yourself do not thirst for God. How many of you guys want to be salt and light? 
Jesus said, if we're unsalty, salt is good for nothing. I don't want to be a good for nothing church. Look what he says. If the salt has lost its taste, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. I don't want to be that. Strong words from Jesus Christ himself. Notice as he shifts gears from salt to light here. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And I love it. It gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good, your winsome, your attractive works, and they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Homes in Jesus' time were generally dark. I know most of you guys know this, but sometimes we don't really think about it. Uh, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have light fixtures. They didn't have Wayfair or, or Ikea. They had one small window. And light came from a lamp, which was a bowl of oil that had a wick. And these were very expensive back in those days. In each home, typically had one light, and it was strategically placed on a stand in that home to give light to the entire place. And this was the imagery that Jesus was drawing from. In the same way, he says, a lamp is strategically placed in the house. He says, you have been strategically placed in the culture by God so God can shine through you. See, let me tell you something that you already know, but God planned where you would work. He planned the neighborhood you would live in. He planned the gym that you would work out. He planned where you would go shopping. He planned where you'd get your coffee and get your latte. He planned where to get your car repaired. For example, just this Thursday, I was getting my car inspected. Then they called me to pick it up. When I arrived to pick up the car, they couldn't find my keys. They lost my keys. I was so annoyed. You couldn't imagine a bunch of manly mechanics just scrambling around there looking for somebody's keys. Man, how many of you guys know we can't find the ketchup in the refrigerator? A bunch of guys trying to find the keys. It was funny to watch for the first five minutes. But 30 minutes later, they're still looking for my keys. Getting aggravated. Not an appointment I needed to be to. I'm frustrated. I was thinking rude thoughts in my head. How many of you guys have been there? I'm, 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 I'm saying mean things, but I can't fail in the Holy Spirit saying, don't be rude. Don't be rude. How many of you guys have ever been there? You're like thinking all these things. You want to come out with the Holy Spirit's like it's like this tug of war. I'm like, ah, I'm about to say something, Lord. Help me, Lord. Self-control. I was standing there. He could tell I was annoyed. It's like this. I'm thinking, how did you lose my keys? All the mechanics have stopped working. They're all looking for my keys. 45 minutes later, nobody can find him. I'm like. <laughs> I'm mad. I haven't cussed in 20 years, but in my head I did. Repenting. Then the manager looked at me and he says, it's been a tough day. Thanks for being patient. I'm like, yeah, I was about to say something to do. It's a tough day for me. And then he said, it hasn't just been a tough day, man. Actually, it's been a tough week. Since I buried my brother on Saturday. My daughter was in a bad accident on Monday. She was banned. And she told him my $55,000 car. <sighs> he was broken. Now <laughs> he can't find my keys. I looked at him and I asked him, because I felt the Holy Spirit telling me. I didn't feel like getting my but the Holy Spirit kept messing with me. Can I pray for you? To be honest, I didn't want to pray for him. Because I knew once I pray for him, I can't be rude to him later. <laughs> right? It's like, how do you guys know that? Like, that's why I don't have a Christian bumper sticker when I drive, because sometimes I don't drive like Jesus. You know, we've got to work through all that. 
But I prayed for him anyways because I knew the Holy Spirit wanted me to pray for him, not because I wanted to. And as I prayed for him, he agreed for me to pray for him. I prayed for his peace. I prayed for his daughter. I prayed for the situation. I kid you not, as I kid you not, as I was praying for him, one of the guys, oh, it's right here. It was underneath that stack. And in the middle of us praying, here's your keys. And I'm like, wow, Lord. And I said, don't you know you have a God who answers prayer? And he loves you. And look, in the middle of our praying, he did this. He's like, wow. And I was like, wow, Lord, thank you for being patient with me. Could have messed that up. Here's what I want to let you know. There are divine appointments every day, everywhere you go, even in your frustrations, that God is setting us up to be salt and light. Here's what I know. Freedom Church, our city is exploding with population and growth. People are moving here from all over the country. God is positioning us to be a city on a hill. I don't know about you, but I just sense this erupting in my spirit that God is beginning to move. He wants to do amazing things. You know God has allowed us. You know the story. He's allowed us to purchase 10 acres of land right off San Bass. And we have tried so hard to build on that land. We've kept hitting different roadblocks that have hindered the project. In the middle of all this hindrance, about a month ago, a, great, a good friend of mine, a pastor of mine, asked me how the project was going. He asked if we had poured foundation yet. I told him, no, we haven't. Uh, prices have gone up and all this stuff. I'm just really frustrated. I said, pray for me. Then he called me that, and then he sent me a text. Hey, can we meet next week? I want to talk to you. I want to run something by you. Okay. So we got down there. We met at Lampo's Coffee here. Then we began to talk, and then he began to describe to me how COVID has impacted his church. How many of you guys know COVID has impacted a lot of churches? It's impacted a lot of businesses. It's been a challenge. And they were going through these different places. They were strong before COVID, but because of COVID, it's kind of changed everything. And he says, our church is at a place where we realize that we want to join with another congregation in the community. I was taken back. He said, would you, man, we've been looking at it. We've been praying about this. There's about five churches that we're thinking about. Man, you are in the top two that we want to, would you, would you pray about that? I wasn't in my radar from all the churches in Round Rock that they considered Freedom Church that they wanted to be part of. I told them, I, I, we're in the middle of a building project. We have a lot going on. I know there's some uncertainties there, but I'll pray about the possibilities. I reached out to our elders. We started praying. We started fasting. We started asking God. And they started praying and they started fasting as they were praying and they're fasting and they begin to seek counsel. They said, Pastor Benito, here's what we're feeling. Man, we, we're thankful for what God is doing in your church. We see the diversity. We see the heart that's going on. We see what a God has taken place. And we love the vision of Freedom Church. Here's the reality. Would you allow us to be part of your church? Would you consider adopting us as a church and you being part and we being part of us? And I'm like, man. And we started praying and thinking about it. And, and so many times, here's one can put a thousand to fly, two can put 10,000 sometimes one plus one equals two but sometimes one plus one equals 20 and I was praying about this and looking at this we said you know that would be something that we would think about as we prayed as we saw their hearts and their passion for Jesus and where they were going and, and as the elders and I had prayed their elders prayed we have came to the place where we said we're going to adopt this congregation and we are going to welcome into the, to the freedom church family how amazing is that we are growing as a family God is doing some amazing, mind-blowing things. So what's going to happen with them? They will dissolve as a church. 
and they were going to give over their building and their land to us. They have 6.6 acres on the highest point of all of Round Rock, right under the water tower. They have a 14,000 square foot building where you can see right off I-35. It's right behind Flick's Brew House. The church is New Hope Community Church. The pastor of my, my friend is Pastor Jason Hirsch, and they have felt led to dissolve, to become part of our church, to deed the property over to us. What? That's crazy. God is giving us family that we're excited with. He's giving us property. He's giving us resources. And they are, they are kingdom-minded people. The elders will pass the leadership over to our elders. Pastor Jason will join their staff and he'll be an, an associate pastor. He's a great pastor. And God is bringing up Michael. He's bringing Jason. He's leading us for this next season. It's an incredible time. This is what they've told me. We've run the race, Pastor. We've done as far as we can. But what we're going to do is we're going to get the baton and we're going to hand you the baton and we're going to see what we can get to together because one can put a thousand to fly but two can put ten thousand to fly. And how amazing is that? We are getting a brand new family that's going to be part of our church. Like, like, what does that mean for us? Practically, this is, we have two pieces of property, prime location in Round Rock right now. When it took us years to find one, we have two. Only God. When real estate is exploding, now there's so many possibilities and opportunities for the kingdom. We're salt and light. God's trusting us with this. He's setting us up, not just for properties and building, but for people. It's about people. Our goal is never to build a building. Our goal is never to have properties. God is given to us, but our guiding value is every person matters to God. you remember a couple weeks ago, my friend, Pastor Will Hampton, brought us a powerful word about expansion. He brought the word. I mean, he, he was supposed to come in March. He came that day. And it was the, the, the week, like the day before he came, uh, I found out about this. And he said, the word for us is Rehoboth. Because remember, they had tried to get this contested wells everywhere they go. Then all of a sudden, God brought the place of expansion. And they told a story is similar to us. They tried to build everywhere else. And all of a sudden, God brought them to this place. God is getting ready to do amazing things. This is unbelievable. And what's crazy, even the delays with the other place, the reason he kept reaching out to me, because if we would have laid the foundation, they would have gone on to the next church. But the fact that God delayed the project and we didn't lay the foundation at that time said, man, you know what? Let me approach Pastor Benito and Freedom Church and look how God was even in the delays. It's not a denial, but sometimes God is getting ready for what he has planned for you. We're seeing a miracle, Freedom Church. So you might ask, so I got a lot of questions. Cool. After second service, we're going to have the elders up here. We're going to take any questions that you have. And we're going to respond to whatever questions we have. Some of them, we don't know the answers. But here's the next step. Our next step, let me tell you, hasn't changed. We're going to build a building somewhere. We're going to build a building that has the greatest impact for our city and the best stewardship for the church. Now we have options. Now we just don't have one option. We have two options. And we're going to see where the Lord's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. We're going to take a pause back. We're going to pray. We're going to get some people that are much smarter than me, much smarter than the team, get them involved in all this process. And we're going to see where God is leading in this amazing time.
But it's like I told you, like, ooh, this year has been wild. It's like, man, remember God told me that word? God moves slowly before he acts suddenly, and we're getting ready to walk into the plan and the purpose of God for us as a church. And this is what I know. God is calling us to be his light in our city in our time. He is setting us up as a city on a hill. Experts are predicting that we are the generation where the light of the gospel goes out in America. I say not in our watch, not in our city, not in our neighborhood, not in our community. The only way the culture goes dark is when the Christians stop shining. And here's what I know. Light gets rid of darkness. As you walked in, you received a pen. And on that pen is a light, just that little thing. Go ahead and put that up there. Put that light up there. Everybody got a light. And here's what this pen is. It's always to remind you. And, and what's wild is we had this service planned months ago. The way the Lord even set up this service for this time in this moment to remind us that he is orchestrating something great in this season for our church. To remind us that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And though it gets dark, we've been placed in the city of Round Rock to be a city set on a hill that shines for the glory of God. And here's the truth. The church is the hope of the world. God is getting ready to get a city that sits on a hill in our city, in our time. And he's called us to be part of that city. See, our nation isn't going to turn around morally on its own. Politics won't bring the solutions to our problems. Education can't fix a culture. Only the church can preserve a culture. God has called us to push back the darkness. Some of you are like Benito. Bro, our city's dark. Our country's dark. My neighborhood is dark. My family, it's dark, bro. It's crazy. And you know what I say? Good. God put you here as a light. Shine for Jesus with your words, with your actions, with your work ethic. It's time for us to be the light, Freedom Church. It's time for us to be the light. So let me ask you a question. What would people think of Jesus Christ if you were the only light in you? What if the entire church was just like you? What if everybody prayed like you, served like you, gave like you, shared the gospel like you? How much light would be in our city? How strong would the church be? See, why you might not be the only light, you might be the only light in your world. You might be the only light to your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighborhood. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.